time of year, uh, incredible season. My wife Paula and I were out yesterday just shopping for grandkids. I can't say too much about that one's in the room, so we'll just go from there. But uh, uh, had a great time. We were talking afterwards at home last night how, uh, how special uh, it just is this time of year. The sounds, the music, the the decorations and all of that just kind of lifts out that uh, that season of, uh, of joy and, and anticipation um, it's 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 like for a season we, we just take our eyes off ourselves and we, we we look to others whether it be family or friends co-workers we just have that posture of looking to others. If you would, we become, we humble ourselves. And, and then we become, we embrace that generosity. And, and we become generous in our, in our expression. And I want to encourage us today to see that uh, the opportunity of Christmas is, is, is not just to, to have a season of humility and generosity, but in Christ. We can have a lifestyle, a lifetime, an eternity of humility and generosity. You know, there is no better or more clear picture of seeing that than, than in, the, uh, in the stable. And, 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 the, and the word I want to share with you today is if we adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus... We will humble, humble, hum, how do you say that? We will humble ourselves and live generously. That's what I want to encourage us to, to really focus on, on today. And uh, as I was saying, in the Christmas story, in the picture that we have of Christ's birth, we see that humility and generosity up close and personal. And so, um, do we have pictures? <laughs> Here we go. Um, and um, if we look at this, if we look at the uh, at, at the manger scene there, 
That humility and generosity is present, especially if we gaze upon the babe in the manger. I was born five days before Christmas. Now, that, that might have been a play for a happy birthday. I don't know. But anyway, that, that I was five days before Christmas to missionary parents who were studying in Medellin, Colombia to go to Quito, Ecuador right afterwards. So I, and Betsy's going to come up in, in just a little while and, and share with you as well in a little bit. We, we share the commonality of being dual citizens of, of the same two countries. And uh, I think that's, that's pretty neat. And uh, so really from day one, Christ was central in, in our celebration of Christmas. And every year since, Christ has been central in, in, in my celebration of Christmas with family, in church. I, I, I began serving the Lord in ministry in the church when, when I was 18 to 20. And just even then, church experience. Robbie, you were talking about last week about the, the pageants. You know, I got to be a part of those. I, my, I couldn't sing a lick, but uh, what they did choose me to do from time to time is be the narrator. You know, I got to do that and uh, <laughs> got to share in that. And, and we had live animals a lot of times. <laughs> we did. And, and literally the last one I participated in as a narrator, uh, we had three camels. Really, and wise men on top of them, riding down one, one aisle each, going down to the front. I mean, what a sight. I just can't, you know, three camels. Well, out of all those experiences, year after year after year, celebrating Christmas, I, I, I can't... Uh, hardly reflect on this without getting emotional, but the most meaningful is what we do now as a family, what we've been doing for some years. See, when we children got married and started having our, our grandkids and all of that, we, we began a tradition. Christmas morning, after they've had a little bit of their Christmas, they converge on our house and we just have Christmas breakfast. And we'd open gifts. But about the time the grandkids got old enough and there was enough of them, which seemed pretty quick, I don't know, but that uh, became an occasion where Paula, my wife, took them all in the bedroom one Christmas morning and gave them parts of the Christmas story <laughs> and dressed them up. I mean, we, they had sheets on, I don't know, bathrobe. I don't know what they had on, but they, they had props. And, and, and one of us would read the Christmas story and they would come out and they would just depict the Christmas story and we've been doing that year after year after year we, I, these pictures are of last year <laughs> okay there they are that's the grand boys being afraid of the angel <laughs> and then if you'll notice we had live animals too we had a sheep well actually that's a white cockapoo but anyway <laughs> He's holding there, and we're, we're going through the story, and then, then Mary and Joseph, and you can see Dad, one of the dads, <clears throat> enjoying it immensely there, around there. But um, there they are, huddled around, and, then, and then, then just this focus right here, if you would. One of my granddaughters holding baby Jesus, 
But now what's, what's particularly special about this? If you look real close, that's not a doll. That's our youngest grandson who's about six weeks old at the time that she's holding. That is his dad being Joseph this time, real close, but watching out after him. I even remember back then, last year, how the, the impression of this little one, my grandson, being totally dependent on those around him, being totally helpless without the care. And the thought of the Son of God being a babe, totally dependent on those around him, totally helpless in the care of those God had chosen to care for his one and only Son. That just, that just overwhelms me. And so today I want to I read again for us the, the Christmas story. But, but before I do, I want to give us sort of a mindset of who that babe in the manger was and is. So I want to read from uh, uh, Colossians. Paul's writing to the church of Colossae and he's encouraging them and, and praying for them to grow in their spiritual growth. And he, he moves to the centrality of Christ and he lifts the supremacy of Christ. And so in, in Colossians 1, I'm going to start with verse 15. I want us to read this so we can have that mindset of who that babe in the manger truly is. So Paul says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him, all things hold together. Do you, do you sense and feel the contrast of that, of that event, but right at the, uh, at the beginning, let's read, the, let's read the, 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 the story itself. And I want you to be reflecting on this as I read. Don't worry about looking at the passage right now. Just, just reflect on the nativity scene as I read the account. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged or literally betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
I'm just struck by the intense contrast. You start at the beginning of the passage and it's Caesar, ruler of the entire inhabited earth, the known inhabited earth, creating that movement of people at his command. The ruler of all people. And yet, the creator of everything, the one who is before all and the one who holds all things together. He's in the manger. He is in the manger. That which is the presence of the invisible God is in a stable adjacent to an inn where there was no room for him. How did that happen? How, did, how in the world did the one who created all and holds everything together wind up in a manger? Well, Paul gives us some insight about that, and I want to I turn to that in the uh, book of Philippians, a letter to the church of Philippi. He tells us literally how this happens. And I'm going, to start, I'm, going, I'm going to start in verse 5 to read, but, but I need to tell you that in this passage, Paul is really trying to tell the Philippian believers uh, to, to not be selfish and to be, uh, have a mindset of looking out for one another's interests. So he's really saying, I want you to follow the example of Jesus. I want you to be like Jesus. And here's how Jesus is. He said, "Who adopt this, this Christ, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who in existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Actually, another translation would say grasped. The, the image there is that he did not consider equality with God as something to hold on to. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. Paul is trying to encourage the Philippian believers to be humble and generous. And in pointing them to Christ, he literally pulls the curtain, if you would, of heaven. And instead of us seeing the nativity from earth's perspective, from our experience, we get to see what happened from heaven's view. Do you see that? All of a sudden, we get to see how heaven is viewing this scene. And how incredible the one person of the Trinity, the one who created all, the one who has all in heaven, chose to empty himself and become man for us. You know, all of us have a birth story. I told you a little bit about mine a while ago. Every one of us have a birth story. 
But not any one of us had anything to do with that. (laughs) We didn't get to choose who we'd be birthed by. We didn't get to choose where or when or anything. That, That didn't have anything. We didn't have anything to do with that. Christ chose to be born. Christ chose to come and be a servant for us. That's the incredible, incredible message of heaven's view of the Christ story in his birth. So what if, what if this Christmas, the opportunity of Christmas, what if we adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus? What if we adopt the same attitude of Christ Jesus? And those of us who have given our lives to Christ can do that because he's in us. He empowers us to adopt his attitude. And as we adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, We humble ourselves and live generously. I'm Betsy, and um, yeah, as I thought of just uh, the reflection of what does it look like to live generously in light of the humility of Christ, um, a lot of illustrations and examples came to mind, and being the church that we are in contact with the people that we are, uh, many of us have heard amazing stories of people who give selflessly. Um, I could talk and tell you stories about how just last week, a refugee who'd only been in Memphis two weeks gave one dollar which was probably very close to all they had to a missionary who was coming through. I can share, I could share with you all about an immigrant church here in Memphis who also gave an offering out of their need, gave generously to a missionary in another land. I could share with you countless stories of just people who've been selfless and who have given of themselves. And um, I could probably muster up some story that would make me look really good about how generous I might have been, um, whether it be materially or with time. But I don't think that's really what you guys need to hear. Um, As I prayed about it more and more, the Lord impressed on my heart 
um, and started exposing just the ugliness in my heart, saying, Betts, what is the very thing that keeps you from living generously? I want you to share that with the church because they don't need to hear another inspiring story that they'll walk away amazed at how generous someone was. They might, just like you, maybe need the curtain to be pulled back on their hearts to see what it is that keeps them from living generously. I'm so humbled um, by the incarnation, by Jesus' humility. Uh, in John, no, in Mark 10:45, it says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And John 15, 13 says, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. He became rich so that we might, um, he became poor so that we might become rich in his poverty that we might become rich. I think one of the things that keeps us from living generously is that we kind of think we're already rich. We kind of think we already have all that. And I think one of the greatest obstacles to us being able to live generously is our sense of entitlement, our sense of rights. We live in a country that's based on rights, that we're entitled to certain things. I'm entitled to my time, to my comfort, um, to all my different commodities. But what the incarnation does to me, the Christmas season does to me, is I reflect on the fact that the one who was rich humbled himself to become a man, to be born of a woman, the creator becoming someone who was born. What that does is it humbles me deeply because what it does is it exposes my desperate need for a savior. I'm not all that. I'm not, I don't really have that much and I don't really deserve anything at all. And undeservingly, the King of Kings became a servant for me to rescue me from my own sin, my own rebelliousness, my own arrogance, and my own pride. And so it's in Christ's humility that I am humbled, that I recognize I didn't deserve such a great gift. And who am I to withhold from others the very a goodness that he has given to me. And so all of a sudden, generosity can come from a place of humility, not just because of his great humility, but because it humbles me to recognize that I really don't deserve all that. I don't deserve a thing that he's given to me. I don't deserve a thing that I have. And what I have is a gift of God. If I have health, that is a gift. If I have wealth, that is a gift. If I have family, time, job, and education, those are gifts and they're gifts that are meant to be stewarded. Some of the most generous people um, in my life that are close to me, that I greatly respect, um, I have the privilege of being related to them by blood. Um, my sister and brother-in-law live here in Memphis, and seriously, they're some of the most generous people I know. Out of their poverty, they give. And also in that same poverty, um, as they give, I see the principle of 2 Corinthians 9, where it talks about the cheerful giver. And it says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
And I see in them, when they moved here to Memphis, they had just recently gotten married and they were sleeping on the floor of a newly married couple because they had nothing, but they felt God bring them to Memphis. And they had very little. Shortly thereafter, they lived in some very short, um, very uh, low income housing in Binghampton. And that apartment was packed out with people all the time. Out of their poverty, their home was just a place that people knew they could go and feel loved and feel welcomed. After a while, then God gave them a little house um, up um, above Gramwood on Maria Street, one bathroom, four bedrooms, um, and their growing family always had someone living with them. That tiny little space, only one bathroom, you'd think we'd at least in America have the right to have more bathrooms, right? Um, but in their, um, just in their need and in what they had, the, whatever they had, they recognized it as a gift to God. And one of the ways I've been directly blessed by their generosity was God started moving me to come to Memphis. I had the opportunity to join a nonprofit, a ministry here in town. And part of the agreement was um, to come alongside to serve them, I had to raise my own support. I had to be in this place of need, depending on other people, to pay my salary. There is nothing like an acknowledgement of our need or being in need that either exposes the beauty of who we are or the ugliness of our hearts. And that's what I felt God telling me to tell y'all. It's not how generous I might have been in my life, but how ugly my own heart was. And in this place of great need, depending on people's gifts for my own salary, you know, I suck at fundraising. <laughs> I suck at it. Um, and in God's grace, I didn't have a lot of supporters because he wanted me to be in this place of need. Because we live with this deception that we don't actually have that much need. But God in his grace gave me this incredible sister and brother-in-law who said, Betts, we want you in Memphis. We see something. We see what God wants to do in you. Come live with us. They gave me food. <laughs> they gave me a roof over my head. And not just for a month, not just two months while I got settled. I lived with them for seven months out of just abundant generosity. And I bring this because when I arrived to Memphis, I didn't even have a car, y'all. I didn't even have a car. <laughs> I had friends bringing me out. And I get to my bedroom, and in their small house, they had rearranged their whole house to give me a bedroom. And the sign had been made by my uh, then four-year-old nephew, I think three-year-old niece, and then the, like the little baby as well. And it says, welcome, aunt, as that's in Spanish. But it says, both of us, both us in Memphis are thrilled and blessed to have you. And it was just, they all signed it. And this, I brought this just as an illustration, reminded me, the incredible generosity um, with which they received me in their home and have continued to love on me over these years as I then got jobs and got settled, eventually got a car. But that season exposed some real ugliness in my heart because being in that place of need, I started expecting and demanding and feeling entitled or I had certain rights, whether to be noticed, to be appreciated. And the support that I was not receiving was not reflecting value. And if I had placed my dependency on that for my worth, um, I probably would have missed it. And in that time, living with my sister, God started exposing just these senses of entitlement and the ugliness of my heart. And you know, in those places of demanding from others, we're quick to demand attention, respect, love. Uh, we, we're quick to demand a lot of things from people. But the more we cling tightly and are closed-handed for what we haven't received, the less able we're able to give generously. And God in his grace used my family to, um, to kind of expose some of those ugly places in my heart. And I started realizing 
that humility comes from recognizing that we've undeservedly been given so much. And that should prompt an overflow of generosity. Uh, when we think that we deserve something that we're entitled, then we end up turning our nose down on others. We withhold, we criticize, we judge, because we then deem them unworthy or undeserved. But generosity begins with an acknowledgement and true understanding of who we are and our commission, our condition, and just how much we have been given. I realize that entitlement in our lives comes from pride. But the incarnation, the Christmas story, just shows us just how far from the truth that is. That Christ humbling himself puts us in our rightful place. And as I reflect on the one who deserves and is completely entitled to all glory, honor, praise, and worship, and think of how he laid it all aside to rescue me in my sin, my rebellion, my arrogance, and pride, when I reflect on his humility, I'm humbled. And then when I realize and recognize that I've undeservedly been given everything, who am I to demand or withhold from others what isn't mine in the first place? I realize that our very own idols become the shackles that keep us from the deep, unequal joy of extravagant giving. And when I talk about idols, I'm talking about the idol of attention, the idol of, yes, wealth, but position, comfort, entertainment, respect, time to myself, time to study, time to work, to sleep. When I, all of those idols, an idol to be heard, to be acknowledged, if I cling to that so tightly and hope to demand that from the people around me, I am not gonna be able to live generously and freely. And so I wanna challenge you that just as we looked at Philippians 2, doing nothing from rivalry empty conceit, it says, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. When I consider myself more important than others, I can't live generously. The times that I've been in most need, I have been so greatly blessed by others. I went through deep times of illness in my life, and in those places, I have been loved and cared for when I could give nothing in return. Um, in this Christmas season, I want you to consider what is it that you need to let go of so that you can be free to give? What are you holding on to that might be impeding you from just living generously with others, towards others? What have you been given much of? You know, in that time of extreme poverty, if we wanna call it, which is not really that extreme because I had a roof over my head and a family that loved me, I started to realize just how wealthy I really was. I had so much that I could either freely give or I could selfishly withhold. You know, and that we could talk about generosity and only focus on money, but there's so much more. I realized that I had time and I could give people the gift of time to be present with them. I could listen to them. I just think the other day I was in Aldi and the sweet old woman just kind of made a comment walking past. And so I turned and I engaged with her 45 minutes later um, the security guard at Aldi is telling us that they're closing. And it was those moments I was like, I have time to give. I have love to give for an elderly, lonely woman who told me her whole life story. But how am I viewing what I've been given? I think of Christmas as we go into Christmas season, many of us are going to start spending time with our family members. A lot of us have history with family. Some of it's complicated. Something I've freely been given is forgiveness that I didn't deserve. Is that something that today is in this season as you re-engage with your family that maybe you could freely give to others, generously give forgiveness after a lifetime of hurts? Maybe you could use your influence and be generous with your influence this year, generous with your education. Maybe you could be generous with your privilege. Some of us live in a city where we have privilege just by the skin color. 
let's be generous above and beyond a financial means, but also let's let the Spirit expose our hearts and expose um, our very need so that we can, in our humility, receiving the gift that we've received from Christ, then we could be opened up to being generous with others. Thank you. Thank you, Tom and Betsy, so much. We're moving now to time of response. And if you could just get in a place where you could just spend some time with God as our worship team comes, our prayer counselors moving to the back. Um, we have heard today of the incredible, lavish love of Jesus. Who, though being in the equality with God, privileged to everything, rich in a position where he could have just stayed where he was and his great love for you friend he didn't consider his entitlements something to be held on to his privileges something to be selfishly hoarded his riches something to just keep to himself but in love for you friend and I pray that you hear this today it's for you he emptied himself. Taking on the form of servant. The divine being joined with humanity. Coming in the form of child. He who is God with us in love for you. Giving up all that he had for you. He who is rich becoming poor for you. That you and I who are poor could become rich. You and I who have nothing could inherit everything. You and I have no rights before God could be given the right to become children of God. What grace, what love is this that God would come for us. The humility of God on full display the love of God for you. Are you thankful? Have you received what he has to give? Are you humble before him? As you look at the manger, do you recognize that your life is there because of his humility? Because he chose poverty. You have the right to inherit life in heaven. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. This Christmas, right now, today, I just, I just invite you to worship Him, to thank Him, to say, God, thank you, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, to put all your faith and hope in Him, and not only that, but to invite God to do a work in your heart, to allow you to embrace humility and generosity before Him and others that we as a church family would display the lavish love and grace of God by choosing to live as he lived for us. Let's pray. Let's just spend time thanking God and pray. There's two prayer counselors in the back. I'm here at the front. If you want to pray about anything in your life, if there's something going on, if you feel like the Lord is moving you to a relationship with God and you want to talk to us about that, 
pray with us about that. If there's something that you feel like God's calling you to say yes to right now, this is your time. Just spend time with God. Thank Him. Invite Him near. Ask for His transforming work by the power of His Holy Spirit. He is present today. He can change your heart. He can give you life. He can make you humble. He can free you into generosity. Our God who loves you is here. He is here. God with us is His name. He is here. Call upon Him. Invite Him near. Thank Him. Worship Him. Love Him. Adore Him. Yield yourself to Him. He is here.